This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. The public impeachment hearings have finally started. Today, the first hearing featuring testimony from the acting U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, and the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, George Kent. I uh, drew the short straw here in monitoring the impeachment hearings. Sam was focusing on some of the other events on Capitol Hill that we'll get into when the newscast starts. This hearing is still going on, the impeachment hearing. It's going to go on until this evening, most likely. Uh, We heard the witnesses, saw the witnesses lay out a pretty clear case explaining how the president was using foreign policy tools to benefit his own reelection. But we're also seeing the downsides of this very narrow impeachment hearing already apparent. For one, by just focusing on this Ukraine story, we once again have Russia taking center stage. Both Kent and Taylor sounded like bygone cold warriors shrieking about Russian aggression and how U.S. national security is tied to keeping Ukraine secure, which is just ridiculous. There are plenty of legitimate policy disagreements to be had about providing military aid to Ukraine. So some of the testimony listening to Kent and Taylor It was pretty nauseating, Uh, pretty infuriating when you think about all the other illegal shit that the administration has been up to, is up to. And yet here we are once again, focusing on Russia. Yeah, uh, I was listening to a bit of it. I caught a bit of it on the radio, uh, the old timey radio. And one thing that struck me is one of the diplomats was saying that uh, they were concerned about the Trump administration talking about withholding aid and withholding aid because, and I'm paraphrasing, but not by much, which is that Russia always looks for vulnerabilities to exploit. <laughs> like, the, like the slope of the Slavic skull is like slanted toward always trying to fucking nefariously exploit vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I mean, again, the- I thought it would it just rub me the wrong way. This is what we're going with over child concentration camps. Yeah. Like I get that it's wrong to uh, try to fucking get a, an invest a, poli- a criminal investigation for political reasons. Everyone can get behind that, but there's also so much other fucked up shit going on. They all wanted to put all their eggs in the basket over, oh, we're serious national security Democrats. Yeah, that's it. We're the CIA moms. We are the foreign policy dads. We're the Georgetown School of Foreign Service dads. And we're putting our foot down. We're outraged by this. We're outraged by this. (laughs) I mean... Fucking Bolivia. They they just overthrew Evo Morales. Yeah, the underlying circumstances... The U.S. has no moral high ground. The underlying circumstances here are really bad. Um, Like, maybe we can imagine in our minds a president, like, withholding some form of payment they're supposed to make to some global Green New Deal initiative until, like, all these other countries promise they'll investigate his political opponents, and then we can sort of understand, like, why this is kind of fucked up, but... uh, 
at the same time, like we should not be tying policies like giving aid to Ukraine as then if you disagree with that, that's an impeachable offense. Um, and it's blurring that line a bit with this testimony here. The impeachable offense is abuse of power, regardless of what the underlying initiative is. But again, we wouldn't even have to worry about these blurred lines if we just like put up stuff like kids being put in cages. That's right. We, we part of this impeachment. We should inquiry. be reading Stephen Miller's emails in congressional committee hearings. We shouldn't be relying on the yeah. Southern Poverty Law Center to, to publish the story. Republicans do seem completely clueless in how to defend the president during these hearings. They've tried to make this hearing about Hunter Biden. Uh, they've tried to claim that all the incriminating evidence is third or fourth hand at best or hearsay, even though the president himself... <laughs> And the president's chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, have both admitted to the alleged crimes. GOP opposition, to, GOP opposition to the proceedings is led by two of the dumbest people in Congress. We've got Devin Nunes, who is suing a Twitter cow. We've also got Jim Jordan, who allegedly ran cover for a sexual abuser team doctor at Ohio State University back when Jordan was an ass- assistant coach there. So the quality of these two guys' character was on full display today. Um, At some point, they were suggesting that Democrats are engaged in a nefarious plot to overturn the 2016 election. And it's like, as if Democrats could possibly be that competent or that ruthless for power. Obviously, that's not what's going on here. I did hear one competent Republican defense of President Trump, and this is a part of the reason why it's problematic for Democrats uh, to, to paint this this picture of Trump entirely being Putin's puppet or the Kremlin's crony or whatever, which is that President Trump has, has given more defensive aid to Ukraine than President Obama. Yeah. So more weapons of war... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 the Republicans were talking about that, and uh, uh, it made me think that, yeah, fu- good for Democrats for just trying to fucking escalate fighting here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Republicans are taking the bait. And everybody, everybody's everybody in the Beltway media, I should say, is applauding Nancy Pelosi's strategy here. To she knew what she was doing the whole time. They've claimed. <laughs> And yeah, her strategy hinges on these two natsec slash diplomatic geeks being the star witnesses to bring Trump down, even though they have to admit things like Trump has provided more lethal aid to Ukraine than President Obama has. We're talking about a guy who has a hotel literally three blocks down from the White House with his name on it, who's using that to enrich his entire family. Uh, while he's a president, he's using the office and that hotel to fucking enrich himself when it, it, it explicitly says in the Constitution, you can't do that. But for some reason, we, we get to hear Democrats uh, pick their field of battle as being as as having big war hawk dicks. And uh, they got owned on, on that front a little bit today. Yeah. All right, let's get to some of the other events. It's Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. Here's the news. 
The government's third largest department, but least necessary one, is about to have its fifth new leader since President Trump took office. The Senate confirmed Chad Wolf to be the next undersecretary of the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Strategy, Policy, and Plans. The conf- Chad Wolf, huh? Yeah. The confirmation paves the way for Wolf to soon ascend to be the next acting secretary of DHS following last month's resignation of previous acting secretary Kevin McAleenan. Nothing says extremely good guy like Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. (laughs) Yes. DHS, which of course includes ICE and CBP, it's currently the spear tip of some of the administration's most inhumane policies, including family separation and child imprisonment, will soon now be headed up by a Chad. President Trump said last month that he was considering Wolf as a replacement to McAleenan. Another immigration hardliner, Ken Cuccinelli, was also considered for the gig, but wouldn't be able to serve under the Federal Vacancies Act since Cuccinelli has not received confirmation by the Senate for his role as the director of the Citizenship and Immigration Services. This particular Chad, Chad Wolf, is no stranger to atrocities at DHS. He worked under former DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, the last confirmed DHS secretary. It was under her watch that the family separation policy was implemented. During his confirmation hearing, Senator Sherrod Brown noted that Chad Wolf, quote, played a leading role in developing, suggesting, and implementing this inhumane policy, end quote. I really would have expected more from a guy whose name is Chad Wolf. (laughs) A right-wing guy named Chad Wolf, who's into immigration policy. Can't believe he, he did this. Just a reminder that last week, Bernie Sanders became the only candidate in the Democratic race to pledge to break up the Department of Homeland Security, to break up Chad Wolf's department. Related news, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security met today. The panel held a hearing about Customs and Border Patrol. Ranking Democrat Gary Peters brought up the recent Facebook scandal when ProPublica exposed a 9,500-member Border Patrol Facebook group that posted callous racist jokes. Among other things, members, quote, joked about the deaths of migrants, discussed throwing burritos at Latino members of Congress visiting a detention facility in Texas, and posted a vulgar illustration depicting Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez engaged in oral sex with a detained migrant, end of quote. That's, of course, from the ProPublica story itself. Anyway, here is CBP Acting Commissioner Mark Morgan talking about the aftermath of the expose. This is from the hearing today, of course. I'm really proud of the CBP team. They really got together across the board, across all different components, and developed a first-time ever uh, social media training package that was mandatory for every single CBP employee. And that course was launched in July 22nd of this year. And I'm happy to pronounce, uh, uh, say that uh, we had a 99% completion rate of that training. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Very happy to report that the mandatory training had a 99% completion rate. (laughs) Peters did not ask any follow-up questions, I should note. Yesterday, however, Morgan told Axios that some agents are getting punished. Quote, right now it's going through the process and it's in its final stages of actually handing out that ultimate disciplinary for those individuals that it's justified. End of quote. It's highly likely 
by the way, that whoever will be punished, assuming someone is going to be punished, that that person will be sacrificial. The Intercept reported in July that agency leader Carla Provost was a member of the group. Other higher-ranking officials were also members of a group. Again, very heavy in racist shitposting. We received a reminder today that the U.S. is engaged in a totally secret war on the African continent, the oversight of which is mostly conducted by the Pentagon and filtered down to a handful of members of Congress sworn to secrecy. On Wednesday, the Department of Defense Inspector General released its latest quarterly report on U.S. counterterrorism operations in Africa, and like prior quarterly reports, it's classified. It was supplied to relevant congressional committees. The details inside cover two specific missions being conducted by the U.S. military, the East Africa Counterterrorism Operation and the North and West Africa Counterterrorism Operation. The missions were initiated last February following an ambush in Niger a few months earlier that resulted in the deaths of four U.S. soldiers. The only thing we know about these missions really is what's been described by the Pentagon in 2018 when unveiling the missions, plus a third mission known as Operation Yukon, focused primarily on the Middle East. It's the overly broad boilerplate justification that underpins the so-called War on Terror to, quote, degrade al-Qaeda and ISIS-affiliated terrorists in the Middle East and specific regions of Africa, end quote. The inspector general addressed the classified nature of these reports, writing again in the typical boilerplate justification that underpins most secrecy around the so-called war on terror, quote, the DOD informed the DOD OIG that the new contingency operations are classified to safeguard U.S. forces freedom of movement, provide a layer of force protection and protect tactics, techniques and procedures, end quote. Not sure how that precludes releasing public reports, updating us on, I don't know, things like the intensity of the fighting, the consequences of it, their civilian casualties, whether any quote unquote progress is being made toward the stated mission, that sort of stuff feels like could be made public. Just it's great that we have a secret war going on always that not not just a secret war. Multiple secret wars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it fucking rules. Some facts have trickled out. According to Military Times, there are roughly 2,000 U.S. troops stationed in Africa conducting missions in at least 20 different countries. In 2018, for example, there were at least 20 airstrikes conducted in Somalia alone. Finally, Sentinel Radio is run by two dudes who graduated pretty close to the fall of 2008, so we're hypersensitive to the deteriorating market for corporate debt. <laughs> Top financial regulator, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, has warned Congress about the situation, though he doesn't seem to think it's serious enough to draw comparisons with last decade's subprime mortgage market. The livelihood of millions of workers and retirees hinges on his assessments. Meanwhile, last month, the IMF warned that 40% of all corporate debt in seven major national economies is at risk of default if the next global downturn is even half as bad as the Great Recession. That sounds not good. Today, Powell testified before Congress, and he showed he might not be the best judge of what does and doesn't hurt middle and lower income people. He was asked by Arizona Republican Congressman David Schweikert for thoughts on long-term economic problems. Powell claimed that not enough people want to work. He warned about the labor market participation rate for so-called prime age workers, people between 25 and 54 years old, 
And here's Powell talking about solutions that Congress might want to consider. There is a range of policies, and, and they would appeal, I think, across the political spectrum. Some of them are about labor demand, some are about labor supply, and I, I think many of them would work. That's the great thing. Is, and I think for, for, you know, for young males, it's going to be addressing the opioid problem. Wait, people? Wait, no, 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 no. People aren't working because they're popping pills? How do you think they're paying for those pills? <laughs> who are these drug dealers who just give away pills for free? This is J.D. Vance shit. Who cares how else he answered the question? Opioid addiction is serious, obviously. Fed data shows prime age labor participation about two percentage points under its all-time high. Labor market policymakers should be looking into opioids? It's a public health problem. The Congressional Research Service looked into this issue last year, by the way. It said opioid abuse could impact labor force participation decisions and unemployment, quote, but it remains unclear whether the opioid epidemic is a driver or an outcome of recent workforce trends or an indicator of other underlying factors, end of quote. Underlying factors like, I don't know, society is failing. Society has failed. Society has failed and people want to anesthetize themselves with pills because they're reduced to economic inputs by dickhead neoliberal economists with enormous amounts of power. The sad part is earlier in the hearing, Powell showed he has some understanding of issues facing working class people in the U.S. Here he was responding to New York Democrat Carolyn Maloney talking about the slow growth of wages. You could point to automation. You could point to globalization. You could point to concentration among uh, mm -hmm. industries where, over time, U.S. industries have tended to get more concentrated as the, as the economy has matured. You could also point to lower unionization. Boom. There it is. Lower unionization. I, I'm pretty sure Powell knows exactly what's fucking over workers. But he also claims that they're actually too doped up to want to work, like some kind of conservative talk radio dipshit. Maybe he's also wrong when he says there's little chance of Wall Street crashing the economy again soon. I don't know. Just a hypothesis. And on that, we are ending the newscast. Thank you for listening. Consider supporting The Sentinel by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month ensures that we can keep delivering you this newscast Monday through Thursday. You'll also get access to bonus content and get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. Also, call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on tomorrow's show. Until then, we're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.